I'm really into this song. I'm getting a little too into this song, if you know what I mean. Welcome, everyone. It is raining outside here in South Florida, but we are smiling in here. There's lots of sunshine going on in my world today. I have a very special guest. I'm going to intro him in a second. First, let me tell you what we're going to talk about on today's show. We're going to talk about some aspects of feminism. We're going to discuss and debate with Mr. Rolo Tomasi. Like I said, we're going to bring him in in just one second. I know you're all excited. We're going to talk about holes in the red pill movement for me. I have some questions. I'm hoping Rolo's going to have some answers. I would love to discuss with him the difference between simping and being a gentleman. Those are two very different things for me. One is bad. One is amazing. So I, I'm curious as to how that's playing out with some of the, the the male, in particular, listeners of leaders of the red pill movement, Rolo being one of them. Let's talk about the mindset of the young modern woman. What's going on there? What's going wrong? And is it fixable? The end goal of the modern feminist movement, what is it exactly? I've talked a little bit about it here. I want to ask Rolo his opinion. We've got all that and more. I may even get into just a tad of politics because we had a big election and I'm curious how Rolo's feeling about the idea of a national divorce. I'm getting more on board with that every day. I'm telling you, man. But before I do that, I want to tell you that today's show is brought to you by a very, very special partner. You all know that a priority for me and for listeners to this show is to help you protect yourselves and your families. Identity theft is a huge, huge issue. In fact, it's super scary. It's happening every 14 seconds in America. I myself have had my credit card stolen multiple times. Absolute nightmare. In fact, the most recent time, just a few weeks ago, before I signed on to partner with Aura, one of the reasons why I signed on. Uh, a friend of mine was a victim of identity theft. It took her years to get her life back. It can wreak complete havoc on, on everything in your life. So Aura is really, really cool. And here's what they do. And they do identity theft protection. They do fraud monitoring. They do. They provide a VPN, password management, antivirus software, all in one. I'm not a tech savvy girl, as you may know, but I was able to navigate this. In fact, I was able to go on their website, and I was able to look on the dark web how many of my passwords were on the dark web. Do you know that 40 plus passwords of mine? We're on the dark web. So I immediately got to changing some stuff, figuring stuff out. Uh, Aura is really looking out for you. In fact, their VPN, this is key. If anyone knows me, I talk about the system. I talk about the death of privacy. Their VPN lets you stay anonymous online. It keeps your whole browsing history and personal info safe and encrypted. In a world where privacy is dying, this is pivotal, people. Um, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to protect your privacy, your financial security, your family, and yourself with Aura. I have a special treat for you today. You go to Aura.com backslash Jedediah, and you're going to be able to go to that link. It's also going to be at the end of the description for our show. You're going to be able to sign up. You're going to get a two-week free trial with Aura. And in that time period, you're going to be able to go on their website and you're going to be able to find out how many of your passwords, your treasured passwords, are on the dark web. Don't you want to know that? Don't you want to know if some of the passwords you're using could potentially lead to a lack of safety, financial and otherwise, for you and your family? So don't be compromised. Head on over. Aura.com backslash Jedediah. They're protecting me and my family. And I told you I'm never going to endorse anything on this show I don't believe in. I believe in them. So get on over. Make it happen. All right. We are now ready to introduce the one, the only. He's back by popular demand. Rolla Tomasi. Rolla, welcome. Champ is here. I was like, what is he doing? There's a delay. There's something weird that's going to come. I knew there was a sound or something. Yeah, happened. yeah, yeah. You, I've got, I've got, I've got sound drops galore these days. I trade them like Pokemon cards. Now. Listen, Rolo, you're soon going to be, you know, in cable news. I don't know if you know, there's people that have jobs as a contributor. 
Like I was a mm-hmm. Fox News contributor. Soon you're going to be a Jedi Beal Live contributor because we keep asking you to come back. But you're very popular here. People really appreciate your perspective. I think there's people who love you and people who love to hate you in the chat. So it's a mm-hmm. good combination. Um, yeah. I just don't know it yet. Well, listen. That's for you to say and us to find out. But I have some questions for you today. I want to dig in a little bit to several topics. I want to start with feminism. Um, That's something I know that you and I had an exchange about that I know you wanted to talk about. And it was interesting. One day I had talked about feminism on the show and I had talked about modern feminism. I put up a story about it and I noticed that you had put up a little story of your own that featured me. I know you like to poke the bear, Rolo. I know. It's fine. I'm used to it. Um, And it said our tradcon women, for people who don't know, that's traditional conservative are tradcon women just prettier feminists you had a poll up i'm not sure where that poll landed but Mm. i'm guessing if it's your audience probably on a pretty high percentage that we're in agreement Mm. with that and i wanted to ask you about why you put that first of all like what was your motivation what had i said to you that had made you want to say like hey wait a minute I don't know. I feel like you all might be feminists. And then I want to offer why I don't define myself as a feminist and see if we can maybe debate, discuss that a little bit. So what was your motivation behind that? Talk a little bit about that. Well, my first um, my first uh, impression anyways, when I, I think you had done something about like motherhood, I think is what it was. Right. That was the initial that was the initial like conversation. I think so, I think. Yep. And, and it was like uh, and I agree with you on that, by the way, that, that that's the um, the the demonization of of motherhood and uh sort of like i guess the 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 path of conventional femininity i think is maybe maybe that's like a better way to put it um to be uh to be a a wife and a a mother and to uh at least return some some kind of honor i guess to to that life path so uh first and foremost i want to make sure that like i I'll let you know that I, I agree with you i understand what you're exactly what you're talking about uh however i think that when you look at um sort of you want to talk about like what's what's wrong with the girls today right what's wrong with the girls today right now is that they tend to be very fearful of long-term security and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit later on, but um, it, it goes back to the idea that if you are a mother, if you are a, a wife, uh, I, I don't know if you've had, I think you had Allie on, uh, Allie Drummond on not yes. too long ago, but she was, uh, she got, she went viral with a, a TikTok video. I think it was back in like May. And um, it was based on the the idea that she was, her job basically was to be a mother, right? And to be uh, a, a help meet, right? For her husband and, and uh, basically the path of conventional femininity. And of course it exploded and it went viral because um, it, 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 it triggers what I think is a fear response in women in that they like men are not, are never to be trusted. There's, there's never, uh, you're either some sort of buffoon, uh, you're like Homer Simpson, or you are um, uh, a borderline abuser, or you're going to invest all of your sexual agency and all of your capital into this one guy who will eventually leave you for his hot secretary. And uh, so what it does is it kind of triggers this fear response. And that fear response is really kind of the basis of the demonization of the motherhood path and and the the path of the uh, the wife, the tra- I guess the the traditional wife. Now, uh, I think you said something to the effect of like, uh, well, you know, we shouldn't demonize uh, women uh, because uh, because of their motherhood. And again, I agree with that. However, I think you also said something to the effect of like, uh, I think you pointed out the idea that it was almost seems like uh, the, the way that it's characterized is that it's a waste of a woman's potential to do that, right? 
So uh, going to college, going to, you know, getting into a career path, uh, doing what what uh, what I've been dealing with for for quite some time with the number one, um, the number one criticism or the one number one, um, I don't say complaint, but the concern, I think, for women that I get um, who are, quote unquote, professional women is they find themselves uh, right around 29, 30, 31 years old, maybe even a little bit later than that. And they say, Rolla, where can I find a good guy? Where do I find the 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 guy of my dreams, the one that I'm I'm supposed to get now that I've got my career on track, I've got my education on track, um, I make my own damn money, I don't need a man, but I want a man. Uh, and the guy that she wants is not forthcoming because the guy that she wants is educated. He's six foot tall. He looks, you know, he looks like Justin Waller. <laughs> um, he has a, you know, he has a certain like high, high value nest to him, alpha, whatever you want to call it. He's a certainly a high caliber guy. And th those guys are, are not forthcoming. And so what they asked me is like, well, what, what am I doing wrong? I did everything that society told me was the right way to do things. And now I want to go and I want to have babies and I want to, um, you know, uh, have a different have a different lifestyle now that I've made partner in the law firm or whatever it is that I was supposed to do. And my my answer to them is always, well, you've got to get in touch with your inner feminine, kind of like what we've been telling guys since the mid 70s. Get in touch with your feminine side. Right. Get in touch with your emotions. So now for me to tell women get in touch with your feminine side, it sounds like I'm saying dumb yourself down mm -hmm. after a lifetime of trying to smarten themselves up, right? To, to, yeah. to not need a man, to not be, like that's when we talk about strong, independent women, independent of what? Independent of men. Mm -hmm. And so now that you are independent of men, men are superfluous. They're nice to have around, you want a guy, but you don't need a guy. Mm -hmm. And so my my critique was this, is that when I see conservative women who really don't want to identify with the uh with the being a, a feminist I, my my critique is this is that it's in the 21st century it's kind of meaningless to say you are or you aren't a feminist because somewhere along the way feminism from and i, I peg this as like sort of militant feminism since like say the post-sexual revolution feminism in some way has influenced the way that you think, that I think, that everyone thinks. Mm -hmm. If you were born after 1965, feminism to some degree has influenced your values, has influenced the way you think about like your your career path, your mother motherhood path. Um, you know, voting. We just went through voting. Women decide decide elections. So Sadly. there are <laughs> there are aspects of feminism that that we just sort of take for granted. And really, essentially, we're all feminists to some degree in, right. the, in the sense that feminist ideology mm -hmm. has influenced the way that we certainly the way we interpret the world. So when somebody says, well, I'm not a feminist, I'm like, well, yeah, you are, because the 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 language that you're using is really inspired by old school feminists that you simply don't even know who they were. You just sort of take it for granted because pop culture and the media and everything up to this point, what your socialization, your acculturation has contributed to the way that you just you don't even realize that you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I always say, you know, whether you're conservative, whether you're a liberal, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, feminist ideology to some degree uh, through your education or whatever um, in some way influences the way that you sort of interpret the world. Mm -hmm. So that's why I always say, you know, like are our conservative women just prettier, you know, but prettier feminists or prettier yeah. liberals, you know, they're just 
we always make that you know the joke that you know of course you know liberal progressive feminists look like Lena Dunham right I mean the fuchsia hair and the underarm pits and everything else and the you know mm-hmm. yay you go, go team woman but uh really when I listen to and not just yourself I don't want to just pick on you but like whenever I listen to traditionally conservative women and I listen to how they sort of build themselves up in in politics how they build themselves up in um just when they're accepting an award for you know the Golden Globes right or for the Academy Awards or for um whatever it's it's the language and it's the sort of mindset where it's like I don't really identify as a feminist but you're still a feminist in that you're thought process and your interpretation of things is really colored by the ideological feminism. So I can appreciate the argument, what you're saying about the lens through which everyone who's essentially a modern woman, modern man sees the world, Uh, you know, media, culture, how you were brought up, what's, you know, in all the magazines. I can appreciate that that lens is essentially probably like a film that we all have over if we all wore Mm -hmm. glasses, there was like a film of that over with which we saw and interpreted everything. I think for me, You know, what I talk about when I talk about traditional conservative women, and I think it's important to understand traditional conservative women rally against the idea of feminism as it's being defined in the modern world, because what we're rallying against is a pro-abortion movement. What we're rallying against is a pro-promiscuity movement. We're rallying against the idea that masculinity is toxic and very much defending, you know, men and their masculinity. We're defending the fact that men and women are different with different needs and, and different biological tendencies and we're just completely different in many respects. So I think that we distinguish, you know, founding feminism, which I always say was, you know, a movement to, that was largely pro-life actually, and that was a movement to guarantee opportunity to women that they didn't have in society. For example, the right to vote, the right to engage in education. It was an equality of opportunity as opposed to what it is now, which is an equality of outcomes. And those are two very, very different movements. So I'm not in any way suggesting that I or young women or you or anyone who's coming of age in this environment isn't influenced by the feminist doctrine that kind of is is just woven through pretty much everything you consume. But I am suggesting that there are people, largely conservative women, who don't want to be identified with a movement that has become largely a man-hating movement, in my view. And so there is a distinction there. And I think that people who aren't in the political sphere oftentimes don't understand that distaste for the word. It's not about, for us, for me, it's not a conversation about femininity or whether you have a career in that respect. What I have the really gross distaste for is that it has become a highly politicized movement, an anti-woman movement, an anti-men movement. None of the advice they're giving out is good for men or women in my perception. And it's highly politicized. It's all hard leftists that identify as feminists today. You won't find a conservative woman wanting to wear that label because they feel it's been deeply corrupted. So even though we do have that film over our eyes, and I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge that for sure, I'm sure that, you know, I'm 43, but I was raised at a time where I was receiving those messages of it is, you know, can be dangerous to lean on a man. And if a guy gets a career and let's say you get married to a guy and you don't have a career and that guy has a career, he's going to be able to build himself up all those years. And if he leaves you, you're left with nothing. I heard all of that around me growing up. So, of course, that had an impact on how I saw the world. And of course, that registered as an impressionable young girl. No question. But mm-hmm. I was never in the camp of what feminism has become today, which is detestable in my view, 
helping neither men nor women, and also committed to denying that we are different. So I think that's where that disconnect lies for me. Maybe you can appreciate that perspective. I don't know. Well, okay. So first and foremost, I don't see waves of feminism. I think I think feminism has been the same thing that has always been since 1848, 1849, Seneca Falls. Okay, that's where the suffragette movement got its start. Just so every, just so we're clear, I've done a lot of homework on this over the years, just so so we know what's going on here. First wave feminism created what was known as proto patriarchy theory. So it's like uh, most of the old school suffragettes. A lot of people don't realize this. They want to separate feminism into separate waves. Like first wave feminism was the suffragettes, right? Got to remember that that from night well eighteen forty nine ish all the way up to nineteen twenty, you're looking at what uh, about like seventy years of the suffragette movement. And by the way, suffragettes weren't just the United States; it was also in That's the right. UK and all over the place. Okay, so they were. If you want to, you want to separate things into into the the good feminism versus the bad feminism. And my my take is this: is it's all the same thing. There's never been waves of particular feminism. Yes, did they want to get the right to vote? Of course. Well, what was the latent purpose of that? What was voting all about back in the turn of the century? What was voting about? Well, we we uh, had you know we just voted you know for in the midterms right now, but back in uh, you know the late 1800s all the way into up to 1920, which was when the 19th Amendment was ratified, we had a very different understanding of what voting entailed. So for men, you had to have skin in the game, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of people say, well, you know, black people were only worth, what, three-fifths of a vote or something like that, and women didn't get to vote at all. And they're right up until about the uh, the turn of the century, really into the, the 1920s and post-World War I, um, was the was women's right to vote even um, – even really a serious consideration for women themselves at that time. So if you go and you back, you go back and you look at the literature of that time, voting was more of like it was sort of a, a duty rather than sort of this idea that well everybody should have like the popular vote kind of thing or the right. reason why we still have the electoral or electoral electoral college. Um, so the the idea of voting at that time was well if men are going to be the ones who are going to go out there and die for their country and they had remember how many people had just died in World War One. That voting had to be taken much more seriously, and it was much more uh, representative of the people who had like skin in the game, and that was men at the time. So when uh, also you have to understand the conditions under which the 19th Amendment was ratified. So it came down to one vote by once I, be I believe it was one senator in Tennessee who was a very young guy. I think he was 22, and the only reason he voted for uh, the ratification of the 19th Amendment is because his mom sent him a note that said <laughs> vote for women, right? And essentially the guy was a was a simp or was a beta enough to do what mommy told him to do, cast his vote and the rest is history. So there's a lot that goes along with the quote unquote good first wave feminists versus the bad, you know, second wave feminists. My argument is this is that it has always been the same movement it has always been a female supremacism movement it has always been in most cases a hate movement and the reason why i say that is because uh back in the turn of the century you know first wave fem quote unquote first wave feminists uh they were considered terrorists back then mm -hmm. they were you know uh, they were against black women's rights they were uh considered terrorists they were considered white supremacists uh, they were against men's rights. They tried to assassinate male politicians. They jailed their own husbands. 
Um, they wanted female dictators. Uh, they opposed female military service while shaming men and boys and as you know, young as 16 with the white feather movement back in, in World War One to uh, join the military and get killed. Um, you know, they destroyed children's relationships with their fathers. Uh, there was a thing called the tender uh, tender years doctrine, I think is what it was. Um, but you got to remember that the the same feminism that started in 1848 is really still the same feminism that that got traction in a post-sexual revolution world. So when we talk about the bad feminism, that's mm -hmm. usually a post-sexual revolution feminism right mm -hmm. after hormonal birth control was was at the advent of that. And then, of course, we get abortion. Then we get no-fault divorce, which, by the way, comes hot on the heels of the sexual revolution. Yeah. We see that as we – and I got the stats to show you. We see a rise in – a huge spike in divorce right after uh, hormonal birth control becomes some much more readily available right around 1965-ish. And it tracks almost identically with uh, – correlates, I should say, identically with the rise in divorce. Then 1968 rolls around. Uh, our good friend uh, Ronald Reagan uh, decides to uh, institute no-fault divorce right around 1968, 1969. Then we have uh, Roe v. Wade, which was, what, 1974, 1973, somewhere 70. around there. Um, you see... Um, all of these change title nine comes in in the what the mid 70s or late 70s mm -hmm. you see all of these changes happen in success rapid succession right after one invention which was hormonal birth control which essentially puts the reproductive human reproductive process in the hands of one sex and so as a result we get to where we're at right now we want to look at po I, I call it militant feminism yeah but this is like the Gloria Stein and Betty right. Frieden uh, feminism that comes in the wake of of the uh, the sexual revolution. Mm -hmm. So the way that I interpret this anyways is there are no f waves of feminism. It's mm -hmm. still the same thing. It's just interrupted by wars, by social unrest, by um, by uh, by the uh, the sexual revolution, by Woodstock, by the boomers, by you, you just name the all if you look at how things track. And also, by the way, it's no coincidence that Marxism starts right around the same time that the that Seneca Falls hits. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at like you know, the Communist Manifesto starts uh, gaining traction right around the uh, the mid 1800s, same time that uh, that uh, uh, the suffragettes start their own movement. Mm -hmm. So really, what I'm saying is that feminism, there are no waves of feminism. It's mm -hmm. always been the same damn thing. It's just that we forget about what was going on back in the day when we're we're looking at women bombing you know police precincts and we're looking at women uh you know of the suffragette movement were considered terrorists of that time but we don't talk about that because well, well you know they got the right to vote so and and what has happened since we got the right since women got the right to vote mm -hmm. they that women overwhelmingly decide elections and that's where we're at right now it's not a coincidence that abortion suddenly becomes an issue for our midterm elections mm -hmm. it's not a coincidence that uh student yeah. debt forgiveness um you know and and elizabeth warren on on record saying you know back in march that we need student debt forgiveness because women need a fair shake and they need to they need to get a, a an honest fair start because they can't go forward and build businesses and be you know successful yeah. if they have all this student debt that they took on themselves because we give women special dispensation and grants and everything else to get those those loans in the first place of the $1.7 trillion in student debt right now, two-thirds of that is owned by women. 
Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, it bet it's, it's essentially the ten thousand dollars that that uh, you get for your student debt forgiveness, courtesy of Uncle Joe Biden. That's just a stimmy check. That's a ten thousand yeah. dollars stimmy check for for <laughs> women, largely women who have taken out those loans. Yeah, I mean, we can talk all day, a separate conversation, probably about what happens in politics. I mean, you have I'll have no disagreement for you there that they largely target, you know, young unmarried women to go and vote for leftist causes over and over again and largely mm-hmm. successfully that that happens. I do believe that the abortion issue was a key issue for a lot of those women in terms of this election that we're just seeing the results of right now. Um they turned out um and and that was largely the reason why. So you have no disagreement from the there. I I do disagree with you. I do continue to disagree with you about the the movement as it started and the movement um, in terms of what it's become. And the reason, one of the primary reasons that I do is because when you're in politics, all you hear from the modern feminist movement is abortion, 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 abortion. So much so that women who are pro-life are excluded completely, regardless of what else they agree with. They are excluded completely from the modern feminist movement, from their rallies, from everything. If you're pro-life, you're done. You know, beyond even if I were a conservative who were pro-choice, I would be welcome. But because I'm pro-life, you know, you've got to be like excommunicated from that movement. So that distinction for me is very big because feminism did not start in any way or respect or shape or form as a pro-abortion movement. It was actually quite the opposite. And I also think that the times were different. So am I excusing, I don't excuse, you know, hatred of another sex anytime. I don't care if it was when, you know, the, the, the suffrage movement was happening. I don't care if it's now, but society was different. I do see many components of that early feminist movement as wanting, again, that distinction between wanting equality of opportunity in a society where women weren't able to do some things that men were able to do. That was just a reality. And modern times where now they want equality of outcomes, they want men and women to be the same, and they want this perception of inequity in places like the gender pay gap that doesn't actually exist. So there exists, it's not real. You know, what they're talking about now, it's not a real discrepancy. I mean, they they put that lie out about, and we covered it extensively on this show, about the gender pay gap, when that's really coming from decisions that women are making for themselves about how many hours they want to work a week, what jobs they want to take, and all of that stuff. So there's a lot of falsehoods that emerge, whereas when feminism started, there was a reality in the discrepancy of what men and women were able to do in society that those individuals, those leaders, and I'm not talking about every feminist, but I'm talking about the leaders of the movement, Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, you know, Mary Wollstonecraft, were seeking to address. So that is the distinction for me. I want to ask you, though, because one of the one of the key topics for today is the red pill movement. And I I just I don't know. I, I don't identify myself as, you know, red pill. The same way I don't say Democrat, Republican anymore. I just don't even know what these things mean anymore. And by the way, speaking to so many people in the red pill community, I find that you all disagree and agree on different things. So I don't know if there is one manifesto is what I'm learning. But one thing that I hear a lot from folks in the red pill movement and and mostly truthfully from um male listeners to you or to myron or to this their takeaway has become this anti-monogamy sentiment and sort of men being opposed to monogamy in other words separate set of rules you know guys can do this women's can't women can't do that and i had this conversation with justin yesterday and I, i i the reason i take issue with it is one I don't think that's a good message for society. I want to ask you if that is the message of the red pill movement, first and foremost. But if it is, I don't think that's a good message for society, number one, because the goal here, what we, what I'm always looking at is like monogamy as a stable source of stability for society at large. So you have, you know, mommy, you have daddy in the house, moms and dads bring different things to the table. But when you have that commitment, when you have a child, that bleeds out into community, into society at large. So 
I worry about what's coming out of the red pill movement on that issue and sort of discouraging um, a, a, an appreciation for monogamy in men. That's one. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get your a take on that in just one mm-hmm. second. But I also don't think it's a realistic thing. You know, most women aren't going to sign up for that. Now, I'm not saying there aren't women that will sign up for that, but most women aren't going to sign up for that because most women feel unsafe in that paradigm. Most women, if you get that good girl who cares about the body count, who cares about, you know, has lived her life in a certain way where she's not sleeping around, she's not promiscuous, she values sex, she ties sex with emotion, and she is looking for that protector guy, and she is willing to lean on you, and she is willing to, you know, she is feminine, and she is all of those things that you want. That girl is going to have a really hard time in a union where her guy goes and shares himself physically in a very intimate way with another woman. She's not going to be able to stomach that, handle that, or want that. So this messaging for me is where I feel like the movement loses a lot of, loses a lot of women. So I want to ask mm-hmm. you first and foremost, is that the messaging of the Red Pill movement? Do you take issue with it? And do you see what I'm saying about how discouraging monogamy could be bad for men, women, society at large? Okay. Number one, the Red Pill is not a movement. That's okay. that's that's number first and foremost. Okay, the red pill is not an ideology. It is not a movement. It is not like, hey guys, let's get together and go march in the streets and be red. There's not going to be any red pill political parties anytime soon. Right. Um, I have been on record several times uh, over the course of my very long history writing about this stuff, um, saying that the red pill needs to be fundamentally asocial, apolitical, a religious a racial uh a national it has to be neutral because the moment you start turning it into a movement you start turning it into an ideology that you start turning it into some sort of like cult right or a quote-unquote movement that's when people dismiss it that's when people say oh it's those alt-right guys i'm hearing that all of a sudden now too right uh and so what happens is particularly in political years really in election years you'll get this is there's uh they, they there's this want to conflate the red pill with an ideological movement and it's really not about that in its most fundamental basic form uh the red pill is a praxeology okay it is a loose science it is a and i and people are gonna give me grief all day long about what it's what's a praxeology okay praxeology in my book anyways is the study of human behavior in that human behavior has a purpose to it it is about intersexual dynamics it is not a prescription at least i don't i do my damnedest to stay away from from saying oh i'm an influencer i we've had you and i have had this conversation already uh i'm giving advice i do not give advice i equip men to to with with data with uh, with uh education with understanding the world that they're actually in that's really the the summation i think of the red pill is like they believed one thing before now they have new information they educate themselves and now they have now they're thinking in a different way so it's not I I don't have I don't want to be anybody's guru. I don't want to be anybody's cult leader. I'm not anybody's uh, motivational speaker or anybody's savior for that. I'm the messenger, right? Okay, I don't want to interrupt and, you, but I do want you to address though on that note before you get to a different uh, part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. If that's true and that I believe you, I 100% believe you. Can you what I'm talking about though is there are a lot of guys that do embrace red pill. Right. I, you know, they, they're mm-hmm. they're listening to they're walking away with a sense that monogamy, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the mm-hmm. listeners, the people consuming the information are walking away and also people trying 
really hard, trying too hard to be leaders in this movement. You've got guys now that are like, I'm going to be the next, I'm going to be the next Rolo Tomasi. I'm going to be the next Andrew Tate. Right, right. I'm going to, and they're trying really hard and they're putting as one of their leading talking points, this, this point about mm. monogamy somehow being a bad thing for men. That worries me because I don't think it's a bad thing for men. Okay. Um, so so can you message, address that? That message is couched in uh, a want for sensationalism, first and foremost, I believe. Uh, whenever anybody has asked me about this, they say, Rolla, don't do, you've been married for 26 years. How can you be on board with this? I, I'm not on board with this. I'm simply just saying that over the course of history, high value, high powerful men have had three things. They have had access, they have resources, they have territory, and they have access to virginic harems of beautiful women that they have unique access to so that they can send their genes off into perpetuity, whether that's uh, kings of Europe or that's the emperors of China and the forbidden city, or just the chieftain in the Amazon rainforest who has eunuchs guarding his, you know, gate off women powerful men throughout history the patriarchs of the old testament are no different than any of these other that then actually most primates have the same have the same uh have the same definition of what makes an alpha male gorilla or alpha male chimp right they have territory they have resources and then they have access to a harem uh, exclusive access to a harem of females that they can breed with so that their genes go on and the beta males don't go on that's all i was saying when i was bringing this out and by the way that's a quote from dr hector garcia from a book called alpha god which is one of they're they're drawing this from one of my books right so of course what happens is when myron says this or justin says this or kevin samuel says this or andrew tate says this they don't go to those guys and say well what do you mean by that they come to me because they know that at some point along the way, those guys came to that to that conclusion as a derivative of something that came out of one of my books or something that I've said in the past. That's not what I'm talking about. The other thing that I've also said, uh, also to like, uh, I think it was to Ruslan when I was on with him with uh, on, on Adam's show, is that the foundation, the bedrock of Western society has been has been based on a socially enforced monogamy. For the vast majority of guys, they're not high-powered alpha males. In fact, one thing that we tell women when they're talking about how um, uh, you know all men are like this, that perception is based on what we call the apex fallacy, meaning that they're looking at very, very high-powered men, and that guy sets the model and sets the standard for everyone below them on that sort of pyramid of like, you know, male empowerment. So when we talk about like, oh, patriarchy, we're talking about patriarchy from guys who have more money than God. They're on the golf courses making deals and, do, you know, they we have this perception of what like sort of a high value kind of son of a bitch is. And he's the <laughs> one who's like making all the, you know, he's the Svengali puppet master. The, the same apex fallacy that women adhere to, men are adhering to right now. So to say, oh, only high-powered, uh, high-value men should have the ability to cheat. Whenever we say should, that's a prescription. That's influence. That's advice. High-value men should be able to cheat. You will never hear me use, I don't deal in shoulds. I deal in is. But you're so, not, but you're not, not, Rolo. You're not. But the people who 
have followed you in your path and who want to be the next whatever it is, you know, they want they've got their microphone and they are saying the should. In yeah, fact, they are presenting that, this that gets as the eyes ideal. On. Yeah, that gets click through rate. But that's it's why. dangerous. That's, that's CTR. It's dangerous yeah. though because you're yes. presenting that it's dangerous as the to me goal. Because I'm the one that has to explain it on shows like this. Right, that's and the, I'm yeah, asking. Exactly. The reason I'm asking you to explain it is not because I don't know how you feel about it. By the way, because I do, mm -hmm. I'm asking you to explain it because I believe that there are people, there are men who do look up to you, and I am concerned that there are a lot of wannabes out there right now that are saying. This should be your goal. This is the ultimate. You should want to be that guy who gets the good girl and can have the, you know, six other girlfriends. And I'm not, Apex by the way, Files. I'm not discriminating against people for their mm -hmm. own individual decisions. If there's a woman who wants to sign up for that, go do whatever you want to do. I'm not here to tell you what to do. But that, that is why we have the societal decay we do because of the breakdown of the family. So I know mm -hmm. you're having that conversation. But people who want to be the next Rolo Tomasi are not having that conversation. They're taking from you what sounds good for them and then they're saying oh let me spit yeah, that out and works? there's a whole what's, bunch what's of young guys but there's a whole mm -hmm. bunch of young guys who are hearing that and they're not hearing what you're saying so that's mm -hmm. why you're on here because i want you to speak to those young guys on this issue and you can finish okay. your thought now so, i didn't mean to, i didn't mean so, to interrupt but go ahead no, no that's fine that's fine um so as far as I think one of the reasons we're even having this conversation right now in the 21st century is because of the breakdown that has been occurring really since the, the sexual revolution. As I said before, women get to the point where they become the men that they wanted to marry and then they can't get into that monogamous relationship because no guy measures up. So no dude that especially the 80 percent of guys that are you know considered unattractive, women believe vehemently they don't want to ruin their lives by getting with a guy who is one of these 80 percent beta male guys mm -hmm. so what happens then is they they go to school they get their career together they make a lot of money they 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 do their things they put off um having babies till very very late in their lives they put off marriage if at all if they can even get married at a certain at a certain age because they're following this path because they hate beta males so much that they are willing to go to eight, you know, four, eight, ten years of college to uh, and get a, a soul-crushing job somewhere for forty to sixty hours a week in corporate America, or or build some business that they have to that they're married to themselves to become the men that they wanted to marry. They hate beta males and the idea of having to get with somebody that is not of their you know quote unquote caliber so much so that they were willing to go and make that sacrifice because they don't want to get into a situation with anything less than the perfect ideal guy. Now, this is perceptual. Do women right. do this anyways? Yeah, they do. But the perception is nothing but the best will do. Mm -hmm. The problem is those not those best guys that is he the best I can do. Those guys look like Justin Waller. Those guys make three, five, ten million dollars a year. They're six foot three. They have six pack abs. They have they have every they're the apex of the apex fallacy. I was just saying before, they're the guys who that nothing but the best will do. So when women don't need men, but they want men, who are the men that they want? They want Justin Waller. They want Jason Momoa. They want the guy who's the hot guy, but is also the full and complete package. Those guys are very few and very far between. Matter of fact, they account for about four and a half percent of the United States population, at least as far as like Tinder, Hinge and Bumble and the statistics go. Those are the guys that are attractive enough that women will want to make some sort of uh, effort 
to swipe right or to you know reach out to this person to see if that there's going to be some sort of connection with that person and the problem is is that women end up sharing those guys whether they know that they are or not so when we talk about oh well rollo you're telling you people who are following you are thinking that it's okay that as long as you're a high value guy that you should cheat or you should have the options and now my my outlook on this whole thing is that i don't think that it is fair for a guy to get into a monogamous relationship and then have side pieces. It's like closed on his end or closed on her end and open on his end. That right there says to me, like, why would you want to do that in the first place? If you can mm-hmm. facilitate that, why would you not just simply spin plates and date non-exclusively That's right. indefinitely until such a time as you go, okay, I want to, I want to settle down. I want to have kids, blah, blah, blah. Why would you do that to yourself? And, you know, for, it's simple pragmatism at this point. It's not about like hurting people's feelings. It's just like from a pragmatic position, why would you want to do something like that? So that's where I, I, I begin from. But the reason why that guy exists in the first place is because women are willing to share that high value alpha. This is a quote from a friend of mine, Pook. He once said that uh, women would rather share a high value alpha male than to be saddled with a faithful beta loser. And so we got we've come to the point right now since the sexual revolution up to where we're at right now with everything we've mentioned to this point. Right. Uh, on, you know, on demand divorce, on demand abortion, uh, no fault, no fault divorce. Uh, women don't want to get with a guy who is not the best that they can possibly do. They don't want to settle because settling is dangerous. If men are never to be trusted, he's either a borderline, he's a, an abuser, could be an abuser, or he's like some doofus, incompetent, um, you know, laughable, ridiculous male, and they don't want to get with those guys either. So what are they looking for? They're looking for the top of the top. They're looking for that apex alpha. And so what happens is rather than say, okay, well, this guy will do, or this guy has potential, or maybe we can have some some future um, family together. They go, no, screw that. I don't want to have anything to do with anybody else because I don't have to get with a guy that I don't need, but I want to get with the guy that I want. So the question is, who are the guys that women want that they don't need? And those guys tend to be the ones that they are willing to share, whether they know they're sharing him or they don't. So then you get into conversations like you did with Destiny or you got with these with uh, people who have these open relationships or have or into poly relationships, which essentially and I've argued this a million times is that poly is fundamentally against human nature because we get jealous. We have mate guarding instincts. It is dangerous is what it is. But we are looking for these cutesy ways to sort of find a way to have some kind of monogamy. But we're looking at things like poly. We're looking at throuples, right? We're looking at these ways to sort of reimagine uh, the human family or the human, like uh, the really the compromise of of mating strategies that was marriage. Mm -hmm. My friend um, uh, Aaron Clary in his book, The Menu, he says this, we live now in a post-marriage society. We just don't know it yet. Mm -hmm. That's why we have conversations about, oh, um, you know, it's okay if my girlfriend, wife, whatever I'm calling her, goes out and bangs guys off of Tinder, and I'm good with that because I can go and have sex with somebody that I can fly out to Chicago, nail nail them, and come back home, right? Mm-hmm. That's when you get into those destiny kind of situations or those Jack Murphy situations or whoever when we're talking about like poly or we're talking about open relationships. The reason why that sounds like a good idea is because we're trying to reimagine uh, marriage in a society or in a, a general, well, two generations that 
are they got no use for men. They got no use for the vast majority of guys. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, they're trying to say, well, how can I do some kind of work around? Mm -hmm. How can I how can I make this happen? And usually what that amounts to is sharing Justin Waller. Sharing a guy who's a high value guy. You talk so about that when though. We have the these conversations and people come at me about this. I'm like, you're only frustrated with this because you don't know how to sort of like rearrange your your, your ideas when it comes to marriage or it comes to monogamy in a post marriage world. Right, Tyler. I want to check with you in just a second on the chat, so I'm just gonna give you a heads up. But you know, when even when you talk about uh, sh like sharing a Justin Waller, I had to, I don't mean to use Justin as an example, but he was very upfront about this paradigm. Oh, so yeah. not him per se. This is one of guys, my best friends, by the way. Guys like right, you can him. use it. I don't yeah. know him that well, but mm -hmm. you know, so not picking on him in any respect. You know, he's free to do what he wants to do. But when you talk about women who would want to share again, what I would mm -hmm. caution men against is there are women out there who will sign on that dotted line for that. Some of those women will be using that guy for the moment because they will say you know what i'll be one of a few i'll get in you know the beautiful apartment and i'll go on the yacht and i'll you know get the fancy gift and i'll do all this and ultimately a lot of those women when they really decide that they want something that makes them feel safe emotionally they will leave they will leave and i have often said they will leave or they'll be distracted or they'll be looking on instagram and there'll be some guy who maybe doesn't have as much money but wants to make them a priority all of that stuff so i caution guys against that model because it invites the kind of women that they don't want so if you're if you're really and this is where my where the disconnect is for me because a lot of these guys that i talk to will value women who have the self-respect who aren't promiscuous who aren't sleeping around who aren't engaged in any of those what they would deem bad behaviors they are high value in their mind and i keep saying to them those women that you want, who you know would be loyal, who would be committed, who would be a good mom, all of the things are also going to be the same women that aren't going to want that paradigm of sharing you. The women who are going to be drawn, I don't care how much money you have, you're talking about Apex, all this stuff, the women who will be drawn to that structure for the long term will be ones who are in more of a use you type of dynamic, who are distracted, who are looking around, they go out with their girlfriends and maybe it's a little bit of a different girl's night. That good girl that is desired is not going to be drawn to that. I don't care who you are. And even if they do sign up initially, they're going to struggle like hell with it because they're not wired for it. And the reason that you love them and like them is because they're not wired for it, right? That is the trait you want. You want that girl who cares so much about you that it would be heartache for her to watch you walk away and go into another girl's bed. Because if she doesn't care, that means that she too likely has disconnected sex from emotion. She's wired like you are. That's the last thing you want. You know what I'm saying? That That is my that is my issue with it. I want to get to the chat because I know it's getting fired up. Tyler. Uh, Elise Walker gave 10 bucks, said red pill guys are attempting to lay the groundwork and groom women into a new reality that looks more like the oppressive Islamic cultures. Uh, it's a dynamic between men and women. Call a spade a spade. Uh-oh, Rolo. You want to take that one? They're doing. I'll, I'll answer that. Yeah. They're doing it to themselves. It's not. It doesn't take the red pill. That's to right. push women into that into that paradigm. That's just it. It's like when we say, well, the good girls, the ones who are under, we, we'll find some way to qualify the good girls, right? The women who won't who won't handle, who won't deal with a, a guy who doesn't want to be you know loyal and wants to be like just into them. Now, the reason for that, by the way, and I agree with you. Yeah, most women want to get with a guy who is loyal to them. And because women understand 
that their sexual market value, their agency, their sexual agency is perishable. So they've got to find a way to invest that into a guy before it's gone. Mm-hmm. So if they're investing it into a bad potential or a guy who's simply not going to, they can't lock down that guy, that's a waste of, that's a waste of capital. That's a waste yep. of, 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 of investment. That's why women's fear getting involved with a guy that they defer to, that they uh, that their husband is sort of the head of the household. That's why Ali Drummond got so much hate from women online when she said, yes, I am my my husband's wife. I uh, I work for him. He's my boss. Uh, I don't see what and I get benefits out of it because, you know, sexual <laughs> benefits as well as life benefits, as well as everything else. And I defer to his authority. I am a wife. He is the husband that right there saying that in 2022 is it, it is rage inducing for women because it plays on the fear that if they don't have something going in the backfield, if they don't have a plan B, if they don't have a a side hustle, because then they're going to be ass out when he decides to go and bang his secretary Mm -hmm. or drops her. And all of that investment goes out the window and gets flushed down the toilet. So it's not red pill guys that are doing this. We're just simply sitting, we we just work here, man. We go and we show you, we connect the dots and say, here's what's happening. Whether we're saying something about it or, or an Andrew Tate is saying something about it is irrelevant to the actual, you know, what's going on on the ground, whether we're talking about it or not. You take away the red pill, you take away Rola Tomasi, you take away everybody who's in the manosphere right now, and people will still see this happening right now because it's unignorable. We live in a post-marriage society and women are saying, well, we're going to try to assign blame for where we're at when in fact it's all of us. It's simply the way we've we've come up since the sexual revolution because right now women don't want to settle for anything less than the best. And even when they get the best, they still have to have some sort of contingency plan just in case that guy like blows them out, just in case that guy divorces them, just in case that guy cheats on them with his secretary. I point out a case in point. I had this, uh, I was on um, Access Vegas la- or two weeks ago with um, with Mike Sartain. I, pro- I brought up this, uh, this uh, it was a, a, a side-by-side comparison of these, I think it was Cristiano, who was like one of the, the, the top soccer players. Cristiano was on there, uh, Messi was on there, I forget the other guy. But it's, if you look at their their uh, Instagram and you see them on vacation with their wives or their girlfriends, it's them together, like on the beach and they're having a good time. She looks good. She's sexy and stuff. And you look at the women's Instagram that, that are the girlfriends. It's just them on the beach. No other dude. It's just the girls. And they're like, you know, it's all these, you know, sexy shots and everything. That's what I'm talking about. So don't give me this shit about like, Oh, it's, it's the red pill guys making everybody. No, it's women like that who have, even have the apex alpha guy who's the top you know soccer player in the freaking world are still hedging their bets just in case things go to shit and they're going to have to be uh find find another you know soccer player someone else that's why you get things like the soft launch women know that the minute that other guys think that they are taken by another dude, they lose market capital, mm-hmm. they lose likes, they lose followers because now they see that there's a ring on her finger. Now that they see that she's with another dude, yeah. then they lose their OnlyFans drops, their Instagram drops, their, you know, whatever other social media goes goes to shit because now that image or that idea or the potential that some guy somewhere might be able to get a girl like that, 
all that goes away because Instagram, particular social media, is a is funnel marketing for women today. That, and so that's don't why give me crap about us. It's like <laughs> try, trust me, it's a it's a combination of everything yeah, right now. Yeah, and that's why I talk a lot on this show about female accountability. And every time I open my mouth about female accountability, you know, the feminists. And I, I say the modern feminists, as I call them, they always come out and they say, oh, she's such a pick me. She's a pick me. That's the word. She's a pick me. You know, as if I want to be liked by men. Mm -hmm. So now that's why I'm, you know, being critical of bad behavior when it comes to women. And that's not why. It's that I'm saying to women, if you don't like what's going on right now, you are largely in control of what's going on right now. We all know that. So if you don't like that somebody, if guys are, that guys are able to have one girlfriend and then a whole bunch of side pieces, don't say don't do it don't do it women are signing up for that so if you decide you're not going to sign up for it it's not going to happen you're doing it so why are you complaining about it and i you know i talk about you, let me let me ask you this jed why did you not take your husband's last name that was a media decision truthfully actually that's not um entirely true that was that was a, a family decision that actually jeremy largely supported for reasons that i can't discuss on air uh, because Why that's his personal business. Ring? Are you wearing a wedding ring? Yes, of course. I have oh, my engagement okay, ring. So other, other no, no. Okay, so this is I'm where my ring. No, hand. no. This is where my wedding ring goes. But a diamond fell out, and it's being fixed, which I've said on air numerous <laughs> times. I'm no. I. I. Uh, that is. That was a media decision, first of all, and also it was a decision for. For him, truthfully, and I can't get into that because that's his personal decision. He'd have to talk about that if he wanted to or not. But it's related to his family and things related completely separate from me um so but why did you ask that i'm curious well the reason i ask that is because there is a growing trend of women not wanting to take the last name of their husbands. oh yeah okay and it's and again this is i see this i mean i see this constantly even within traditional conservative women who want to make and of course the, the always the, the go-to answer as well i'm an attorney and i don't want to change the name on my business cards right no <laughs> right? It was, yeah, yeah it was a media decision and i if people know me as jedediah bila people know me as michaela yeah. peterson right they, it was they, easy not, truthfully i'm gonna be honest it was easy because i was on tv and that it was like Bila is what everybody knew, but that really wasn't why I didn't do it. Why I didn't do it was really because he and I had that discussion and because of certain things that went on. And he, he was like, I, I don't, yeah, I would actually prefer if you didn't. And it had nothing to do with him. It was really a larger issue, um, unrelated to him completely. But um, yeah, not, not, not going where you thought that was going to go. But well, no, I, and again, it's not an attack on you. This is just like you want, if you want to know, we keep talking about, oh, well, the, the red pill this and the red pill that. It's like, well, I all we do is really just point out what, you know, forcing the truth upon people, yeah. basically. It's just, it's just calling out what we see. It's a, I just work here, man. So right. when now, again, the more flamboyant people, the more the people are going to say, oh, oh, high value men should cheat or you should expect they should have they have the right to cheat. I have never been on board with that, by the way. I've been married for 26 years. I've never cheated on my wife. I've had this conversation on Access Vegas several times. Yeah. I talked about it. I mean, Justin Waller knows my wife. I mean, we have been, you know, we, we hang out and have vacation in Tahoe together. So and he's very complimentary about my wife and my situation. Does that make me a simp? Does that make me a blue pill chump because I have been married for 26 some odd years is because I can't go, I can't go and get laid. I can't go and exercise my options. I have the options. Mm -hmm. I could very easily do that. I don't have the reason to exercise any of those options because my relationship with my wife, I respect my wife very much and she takes care of me. 
I don't have to, I don't have to be like, Oh, I think I'm, you know, right. I got a reason to go out and step out on her or anything like that. Am I, am I not high value? Do I not make enough money? Am I not in good shape for being in my fifties? What, you know, where is, where do we draw the line? Right. So when people say, well, you know, uh, guys who, guys who are loyal to their men are only as faithful as their options. Right. So what that says is like, I don't have any options. No, I, I have plenty of options. I've been in the liquor and in ga gaming industry for a very long time. Yeah. I have plenty of options. I just don't choose to exercise. And why is that? And you Does know, it make me better than, 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 than Justin or, or Myron or Kevin Samuels or anybody else. Or does that make me a simp? Does that make me a beta chump? Well, that's an interesting conversation, too, that I want to have with you about the difference between mm -hmm. with simps, because that's and I, I'm going to get to that in a second. But first, I have to deal with the female. Nice segue, right? No, I, well, I was going to segue into that. But I just want to ask you uh, first about the female orgasm, because that this is another topic where I feel like there's a hole in the red pill. I actually watched a, a show with you. You were on Fresh and Fit talking about this at some mm -hmm. point. I don't know when that was. And then I watched a separate uh, show with Myron talking about it with I think it was just the girls at the table. Oh, Sneeko was on that, actually. <laughs> And Myron had made a controversial statement about um, feeling that giving a woman an orgasm was like extra credit. You know, he was essentially saying, mm -hmm. you know, it's not mandatory, but, you know, it's kind of like an extra credit, like a bonus. And that's another talking point that I think comes out of some folks in Red Pill that confuses me. And by the way, on that episode, it was interesting because Sneeko actually had a very different opinion and mm -hmm. uh, Fresh actually had a very different opinion, pushing back a little bit. But essentially what Myron was going at and saying is it, it, it's not a prior, like guys are offering other things to the table. If you're doing other stuff, if you're high value in other respects, if you're making the money, if you're able to protect her, if you're able to provide, then, you know, that's not why she's there essentially. So you don't have to mm -hmm. worry about it so much. It's going to get you from, I think he said from a hundred percent to like 105%. I listened to that and I was just like, first of all, this is all wrong in many respects as a female. Um, I think why? that, why do you think it's wrong? Well, I think it's wrong because First of all, I think, again, in the same way that the other conversation about guys having multiple partners is destructive in, 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 a, in a sense, I think this also sort of takes a lot away from what the sexual experience is for a man and a woman together. And I think that when a woman, you know, when you're able to bring a woman to the point of orgasm, I think that opens her up even to, you know, to you even more. I think that that you talk about it in terms of pair bonding, I know, oftentimes, but I think it's absolutely integral to forming that union. I think that she begins to feel like she's able to be more vulnerable with a man, and I think it's really important for a woman to know, in the same way that a guy should be in a relationship and know that that woman that he's chosen cares about his pleasure, wants him to be happy. I think you have to support a dynamic where the woman also knows that that guy who's there wants to bring her pleasure and wants her to be happy. There would be nothing more unattractive to me than a man who didn't care at all about my pleasure in the bedroom. Like that's not appealing to me. And I, I think there was backlash on the panel from Sneeko and from, they were like, I want to please my woman. You know, I feel like that's mm -hmm. a, a, a badge of honor for a guy if he's able to do that. And I also just think if you're looking, if you want a healthy union, ultimately what I want more than anything is more people to be in a satisfied, healthy union. So mm -hmm. I don't see how you ignore or minimize, I shouldn't say ignore, but minimize the pleasure of one party if you're ultimately looking for a healthy union. So that just mm -hmm. rubbed me wrong in terms of, again, like, you follow that model, you're going to have a lot of unhappy women. Those women are going to stray. Those women aren't going to want to be there. They're going to be cheating. They're going to feel unimportant. Like, why are why not strive for a union where both people really give a shit about the other person's pleasure and happiness? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Do you want me to start with the um, the practicality of it? Do you want me to start about the nuts and bolts of it? Okay. Just go for it. So, so there's been a lot, and really, I think this is where uh, Myron started the debate with me because I, 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 I think it's, I think it's way more important than, uh, than Myron or anybody. It, it's salacious, right? It's, it's something that gets right. eyes on the screen. It's outrage bait, is what it is. Yeah, I don't care if if she gets off or she doesn't, right? Um, that's, uh, I, honestly, that's, that's all about, you know, click through rate, honestly. Uh, that's, that being said, uh, when I was talking with Myron about this, I said, well, okay, what's the function of female orgasm? Is it like some sort of, is it a spandrel, right? I mean, evolutionarily speaking, is it just something that's sort of like a vestige? Uh, is it like, you know, men's nipples, you know, we don't right. need nipples, but we have nipples, right? She's like, is, it, is, is that what it is? And so there's um, there's a lot of theories on that, and I don't think that a lot of these guys like. Okay, first off, Sneeko is probably the last person you want to ask. That's about. true. <laughs> this, I mean, you know, I mean, at twenty, God bless you, Sneeko. But like at twenty three, maybe this, maybe you, that's he's not the best place to start. <laughs> um, but um, so here's so here's my take on this. Um, the from an evolutionary perspective, what is the purpose of a female orgasm? That, that has been debated by so many so many people over so so many years, and because it's the 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 nuts and bolts of it is, is a woman doesn't have to have an orgasm to be impregnated, right? So if, as long as a guy gets off, and the conception happens, then that's the way it works. Now the other the competing theories, let's just say. Um, is that when a woman has an orgasm, she's flushed with oxytocin. Okay, mm -hmm. so the after effects of the orgasm are m almost more important than the orgasm itself. So the guy who can induce an orgasm in a woman tends to have a stronger pair bond with that woman because of the chemical reaction or the, the oxytocin flush. That come, by the way, men get it too, like after they get off, but like women more so. And so that what it's meant, like the the theory, anyways, the evolutionary theory is that because of that, it forms pair bonding so that the two will have a child, and it will mean that the woman and the man are more um, likely to be parentally invested in any child that comes as a, as a result of that union. So, is there like from a, a nuts and bolts perspective, does a, a man does a woman need to have an orgasm to have a child? No. However, there are per the reason why it still exists is because there are purpose there's a purpose to it that are. I guess ancillary that are uh, survival adaptations that um, that form a pair bond, right? So there is that. The other uh, aspect is this: is that it also ensures uh, it's kind of like a form of mate guarding. It's like it, it ensures that if there's one guy who can get a woman off and then there's a guy that can't do it, the guy who can, she's more likely to stick with that guy because she associates the good feelings of an orgasm and then the post-orgasm uh, uh, oxytocin, the post-nut clarity, right, that she has with that guy is more likely, she's more likely to stay with the guy mm -hmm. that can do that for her than the guy who can't. Mm -hmm. So those are some competing theories as far as like what's the purpose of a female orgasm. Now, my my personal take on this is I would go I would go with the mate guarding theory more, more than anything else. So functionally, that's how it works. The other thing is this is what, oh is it a bonus? Is it something? Is should it be like rewards for reward for good behavior or something like that? 
Um, my is it or sh I, I think really what it comes down to is do guys like prioritize that woman's pleasure because they think that that's the only way they're going to retain that woman like that's their game their game is well I can get a woman off right and I think that guys buy into that because women will say well most guys don't know their way around a woman's body and they don't <laughs> do you even know what a clitoris is <laughs> like they, for some it's true I'm, I'm 50 some odd years old trust <laughs> me I know how to give a woman an orgasm I got that it's not freaking rocket science I'm not, I don't have to be a brain surgeon to figure this shit uh, out but the idea is that like you're less of a man if you don't know right. how to please me that's I think is where where the where the germ of the idea comes from for like guys who are like, well, you know, it doesn't matter if you get her off or you don't get her off. I think it's important. I think it's also something that is uh, uh, I think it's actually something guys need to be careful with, honestly, because if you're prioritizing her pleasure, um, there's um, I was just reading a study on like um, like oral sex for like guys going down on women and giving them orgasm that way as a form of like mate retention. And so there's a there's a sort of the evolutionary adaptation side of things where you're securing your it's mate security for guys who it's it's essentially like sort of um, value added. And so when we talk about how like uh, like hypergamy doesn't seek its own level, if a woman is a six and a guy is a six, the woman is always looking for the seven. But if the guy is a six and he can get you off. And the guy is a six and he has added value added. Like he makes a good chunk of change. He makes a lot of money. He's loyal. He has other sort of value that's added to him. The woman might stay with the guy who's the six that can get her off as opposed to the guy who's the seven who can't get her off. If you, if you understand what I'm saying, no, so it's I, like this, I do. it's like this value is this value evaluation. I do. But to be perfectly honest, like at times I just want to simplify it like for everyone from, from my perspective. And I just, there's so much strategizing that goes on. And I know that's real. I know that in the dating game there's a lot of strategizing and how do I keep this person and but the 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 ideal goal should just be like I want to ask these guys do you love her because if you love her it's really simple you love her she loves you he she wants to make you happy in bed and elsewhere you want to make her happy in bed and elsewhere and I just feel like everything is so heavily like the strategize like how do I get her to do well, this and you're looking at it you're looking at it from the perspective of two people who are already in a relationship yeah now, should yeah. that be a priority if it's like the first time like it's the same night lay right or if you just met this see I guess I, that's so person. foreign to me that whole thing is so because I've never done that in my life it's so foreign I guess well, you're you right you have to have done it at some point no in your no life not like, no, like not same in a relationship night with the guy. Then you sleep with the guy right. and you go, hey, I kind of like this. No, guy. but same want, night got me off. I think maybe I want to start a relationship. Same with the night guy. to me sounded like you met somebody that day and then went home with yeah. them. And it was all. Yeah. Physical. Well, I mean, even I have if that's not, not that the case. Actually. Trust like, me, if you had premarital sex. Yeah. You're like, oh, yeah, I think I like the sex, whether you made him wait for it or not. Is it you're kind yeah, of but there were already the emotions. I, I, it's very hard for me to even look at this without the lens of emotion, truthfully, because I do connect from a female perspective. Female perspective, and also I personally do tie sex to emotion and always have, like in all of the instances where I've engaged in it. So for me, I, it's very hard to detach that. But I guess if you were not in a relationship and you, there would be more strategizing involved, hopefully the goal is for everyone to get into that relationship because everybody should get off. Yes. I agree. Everybody, everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. Tyler, I want to check in with you and then I want to just do simping with uh, Rolo and then we can. We got a few to go through here. Uh, two bit user gave 10 bucks said the red pill uh, uh, the red pill is not a movement ideology or philosophy uh it's a praxeology i prefer the militant feminists over the sneaky ones it's the same reason women hate nice guys i do enjoy your show uh el chino gave 10 bucks uh he was 
driving to something in particular uh, negative. It shows what the truth uh, of male and female nature. As men improve their situation, they have more options and don't have to accept things they don't want from the opposite gender. Uh, Silly Sausage is back. Shout out to him. Uh, You're not oppressed, ladies. If men wanted to oppress you, it wouldn't take long. Look at Afghanistan. It took three days to reset everything. We are just tired of, uh, of you blaming us for your own poor choices. Jerry gave 20 bucks. The reason men and women especially get, uh, oh, excuse me, the reason men and especially women get red pill wrong is because of the TLDR dynamic, but more importantly, Mm -hmm. because the truth hurts and we'd rather pray it away or ignore it. Uh, but it's possible for positive masculinity. Fearless gave a hundred bucks said just now subscribe to your channel. I wanted to provide value for the value you're providing in today's discussion. I'm curious how a conversation would go with you and coach EO. Uh, salute and there's one uh two more brad uh gave 12 bucks a jedi you are not hearing what rollo is saying you cannot get away from the conundrum muscles money game feminine friendly faithful rudy gave five bucks fellows be sure to grab a copy of she comes first by ian kerner it's a great (laughs) read to fully understand a woman's pleasure points Rolo, you know what's interesting the other day i was doing some content and we had picked out a short and I hate the shorts, honestly, because I feel like I just I need more context than exists in these shorts, as you know, in this medium. And I had said something in the short that said a woman wants above all else to feel safe. And part of that is, you know, feeling protected, you know, the financial stability and to feel loved. And we even even I think posted it for a second. And I said, oh, we got to pull this because I missed a really important point. She wants those things from the guy that she's sexually attracted to because I Mm -hmm. knew that what was going to come to me was like guys saying, well, I do all that for, for my girl and she's still not, you know, X, Y, and Z. And it's so this, the idea of being physically sexually attracted to someone I think is so pivotal because you talk about this a lot. I know is like what you're willing to do for a guy or what you're willing to tolerate when you have that attraction. That is key. That's not to say that women don't want to feel those things. They do want to feel protected. They do want to feel safe. They do want to feel loved. But if it comes without the sexual attraction, mm-hmm. no go. And it's just, yeah. it was just like a it's fascinating over. revelation that I, I was like, you got to get that down because I need that caveat. Right. Well, here. so my my take is this. And, I, you know, I, I think a lot of people here's something that kind of low key gets a little bit uh, misconstrued. Um, when I talk when we talk about hypergamy, we talk about I'll, I'll say it the nice way. Alpha seed and beta need. Right. It's the short term sexual arousal state versus the long term security uh, per, uh, was a parental uh, protection provisioning and uh, parental investment. That's the beta bucks side of hypergamy. And so when, I mean, I, in an ideal world, women get the best of both worlds. They get the hot guy in the foam cannon party, and then they get the guy who's also a good dad, right? He's also yeah. in, invested in the, the whole thing. And the problem is, is like, we've gotten to the point right now, as I was saying before, where um, women have already, at least perceptually, the belief that they don't need no man, they just want a man. And in the part where they don't need a man or they're, in, you know, strong, independent woman, that independence is really predicated on the beta buck side of hypergamy. I don't need a man because I don't need protection. I don't need provisioning and I don't need parental investment, but it'd be nice if I had Jason Momoa in the sack occasionally. <laughs> and then I, you know, then I'm, I'm okay with that because I've already, at least perceptually, whether it's true or not, is kind of immaterial, but like whether or not they, they actually have all of that, the guys that they want 
tend to be the guys who are the alpha fuck side of the of the of the equation. They want the guy who is the hot guy that they can that they that has really great body, has you know masculine features. It looks like I said, I hate to keep harping on Justin Waller, but like Justin or or uh, or Jason Momoa or guys who we would say are you know name the 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 movie star that women swoon over. That's the that's the want side of all of that. The problem is is like when we're talking about uh, how. Uh, when we talk about the difference between like short-term sexual versus long-term security, what you're looking at is you're looking at the difference between arousal and attraction. Mm -hmm. And so when you ask a woman, uh, Fresh does this on every damn show, is like, you know, ladies, what are you looking for in a guy? When you ask a woman that, you'll get the long-term, the long-term security side of it. He's got to be, uh, he's got to have his shit together. He's got to be confident. He's got to be funny. He's got to love his mom. He's got to love puppy dogs. He's got to want kids. He's got to like rainbows. He's got to like <laughs> Disneyland. He's got to like all of like these rainbows. laundry lists. But it's all stuff that sounds good, right? And it's all long-term benefits. Now, if you say, ladies, what is it about a guy that gets you hot? Height is definitely one of those things. He's got to be muscular. He's got to have a, a, a chiseled Sorry. jawline. He's got to have a nice butt. He's got to have like, you know, 26 inch guns, whatever it is, the things that sort of get a woman's blood flowing. I asked the girls this, by the way. Yeah. And you were a topic on, on the first version of the first episode of, of Access Vegas. where I, So I asked them this. I said, which calendar sells the most? The Chippendales? You know, thunder from down under male strippers cattle you know, or the hot fireman can calendar or the dad bod calendar, <laughs> which one sells the most? And they're like, well, I don't know, you know, but dad bods are like, get the fuck out of here. You know, damn well that it's the Chippendales calendar that outsells the dad bod calendar. That's and that's what I, I was just trying to pr prove a point here is that mm -hmm. it's there's the arousal side of a woman's mating strategy versus the attraction side, which is all about long term security. Yeah. The last thing I want to get to you uh, to get with, and then I want to uh, actually add a note for the audience. So I have to, let me write myself a note to do that. But the difference between simping and being a gentleman. So I see those two things as very, very different. You know, for me, like a simp is a doormat. That's somebody who's always like, baby, what can I do for you? You're so gorgeous today. Can I get you anything? Has no life of their own. You know, chases the girl in high school down the hallway and offer and is carrying all her books where he's basically ready to like fall on the floor himself. But then there's a gentleman. And what I find is that I actually have a two part question. The first part is why do guys, guys know from a very, very young age, going through middle school, high school, that being a simp is not a recipe for success. Like the simp doesn't get the cheerleader, right? They know I still that. Think they, it is, but yeah. They but they see that manifest in real life. Like this, this what I, this behavior is not leading to success. But they repeat it over and over and over. You've got guys in their mid-20s still doing that, still acting like that, even though their whole past shows them that this is not the way to go. So I want to ask you about why that is. So I'm just making note of that. And then, but the other side to that, before I forget, is the difference between a simp and a gentleman. Oftentimes I will hear guys say, well, I was a simp and then I turned around and now I'm changing and now they don't want to be a gentleman at all. Now they're the complete opposite, did a 180, and I'm like, no, that's not good either. So what you, I, I just, I'm hoping you can articulate maybe the why of why that behavior Chicks continues. jerks. But, but they don't, they do want a gentleman. Women want a gentleman. They yeah, just want a gentleman who's a jerk. They want a gentleman who they want the open your car door. They want they don't want a Dude, jerk. That's a, that's a, that's the funniest thing I ever hear is like. When, when, they like, do. It's a, I think, I don't know if you guys talked about this with, with Justin yesterday, but like you're talking about chivalry, right? 
I didn't talk about it with Justin, I'm but I have talked about it. the door for a woman, and I don't care if she has a problem with it. Do you oh, yeah, he honestly said that. think that any woman that's hanging out with Justin Waller is going to go, oh, no, I got the door. Hang on. Get the, you know, what? No, not not it's, somebody I, he would choose. So, not somebody he would choose to take defines, out. But. Is that what defines chivalry? Opening a door? I opened the door for my elderly you know, mother-in-law. I, I opened the door for people who just got out of common courtesy at the damn grocery store. Does that mean I'm a, I'm a chivalrous knight in shining arm? No, that doesn't. And I hate the, the idea that that's like the benchmark for chivalry. There's so much more to it than that, than just like, or it's like when guys say, well, I want a woman who can cook and clean. Um, okay, and then what? <laughs> right, and then no, what? but I'm not what, limiting what it. What else is value added beyond cooking and cleaning? Not right? to li- not to interrupt you, but I'm not limiting it to opening a door. But I am saying like opens mm-hmm. the car door for you, pays the bill when you go out. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. walks yeah. on the right side sure. on the side of the street where you know we were talking about that about how like a guy needs to walk on the side of the street where he's more in the danger zone. I love that. Mm-hmm. I actually love that. You, you I hadn't thought know, about it like that. Come, Put you in the you danger zone, the real babe. Of that? No, but I'm happy that my husband is walking in the danger zone, and I love it. So go ahead. The reason why the reason why it, it is appropriate or is, uh, the etiquette is for the man to walk on the outside of the street is because back in the Renaissance times was that's where they threw slops. <laughs> and so all the bedpans and all the shit that got thrown out the windows would splash in the streets and it would be the guy that got shit all over him. That's really what it was about. It wasn't about oh, the danger zone. Now, I mean, maybe a little bit, but, but that's it's very, really, it's they, very, that to me, a lady can't get slops on her. <laughs> but that's chivalrous <laughs> that's to me. A guy saying, you know what, if God forbid anything happened, I'm going to shield my woman. Or I know like my husband used to always like, you know, in the car, even when I'm sitting in the front seat, although I don't sit in the front seat much now because I'm in the back with the baby, but in the front seat, if we, if he had to stop short, he would always reach over even though I have my seatbelt on that I love that that to me is chivalrous though and those are the things guys don't do anymore partly because it's been beaten out of them figuratively by modern feminism and now they think that's bad behavior somehow but also because they spend a lot of time being a simp in their younger years not being a gentleman being a simp and then they get to that point and they're like oh this is I'm not going to do anything nice for a girl I'm done I'm done you get walked all over so how do you reconcile that yeah, yeah. Well, it's the the juice ain't worth the squeeze. That's yeah. really what you're saying, and and yeah, and I get that. And is it chivalry? I think chivalry is the wrong word. Quite honestly, uh, if you look at like the history of chivalry, it had nothing to do with like you know defending milady's honor. It was actually a, a an agreement. It was a chivalric code between men of like well you know medieval ancient Europe, right? But then of course, what you're really referring to is what's known as courtly love and the romantic ideal. That's what what you're really. I know that's why I don't think we should call it chivalry. Mm-hmm. It's courtly. It's uh, a courtly love and the romantic. I, I get into this in my my fourth book, but it's the idea that the guy has certain uh, to to prove. Really, what it is is it's it's a it's a set a, a code of etiquette that in some way proves the quality of the guy to the woman. And what what do each of those like? If uh, if 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 the guy puts his arm around you or he pays for something, mm-hmm. what he's saying is like, I've got the resource, I've got surplus resources to take care of you and any future children that we have. Yeah. Um, I can kick ass into. I have a capacity for violence. I have a, a capacity to protect you. And even if somebody pisses me off so much that they besmirch your honor, then I can also go kick their asses too, if that's the case, right? Meaning that if, if somebody tries to take advantage of you in this very dangerous, chaotic word world, I can be your protector. So all of the things that are associated with what we want to call chivalry now, yeah. but really it's like the romantic ideal, is their their behaviors and their uh, their their customs really that are meant to prove certain certain aspects. And usually it's the beta buck side of things. It's I can protect you, I can provide for you, and I'd be a good dad. 
I'm, I'm, I'm parentally invested. So if you look at all of those things, that's really why women still want to have the, uh, the benefits and the privileges of this new order of feminism and gynocentrism. They really want, I want to be respected by default, right? I want, I want to be, you know, taken seriously. I want to be in an equal partnership, but I also want you to open the door for me, pay for the date. I want you to you know, show me all these quote unquote chivalrous uh, aspects of your personality. And I want that old order privileges. And I also want this new order privileges too. Well, the problem is, is those often conflict with one another. So when I talk about how uh, men are held responsible for those old order um, those old order uh, behaviors and the, the mindset and, oh, you know, I'll walk on this side of the street and I'll open the door for you. <laughs> That's kind of like this old order responsibility. But yeah. the new order privileges for women is you don't have any authority as a man to tell me what the fuck I can do, even though if, you know, somebody uh, assaults us on the street, I'm the one that has to go kick this guy's ass or die trying. That's the that's the difference between the two. In the old order, it was responsibility with the authority of be, having a masculine authority. Mm -hmm. In the new order, it's I want all of that, but I don't want you to to have any kind of authority. And I want to be the head of the household and I want a quote unquote equal partnership. Mm -hmm. Right. Or want some sort of egalitarian equalism. And that's the conflict that you're seeing between if you want to know why we talk about simps and we talk about, uh, you know, uh, chiv the chivalry versus simp, the gentleman versus simp. Right. The simp is really kind of like the new order kind of thing. Yeah. The gentleman is in the old order, but the problem is, is we look at the guy who is the gentleman who has all those qualities of this old order chivalry, and we say that guy's a simp because in the new order, that guy is not expecting to have any kind of authority and really – you know, from a from a statewide uh, perspective, you can't out alpha the state as it is. So really, you're it's all responsibility and no authority in the new order. So it's old order responsibility. And in the new order, there's no there's no authority that is commensurate with that so that you can at least earn respect and then also be able to affect that responsibility in the first place. Mm -hmm. That's why I always say yeah. that patriarchy is a much more balanced system than feminism or gynocentrism ever will be because in an idealistic state, in an ideal state, patriarchy is about responsibility and having commensurate authority to affect that responsibility. As a patriarch, as a guy who is the head of my household, I have a lot of responsibilities. A responsibility to my child, responsibility to my wife, responsibility to, you know, keeping food on the table and the lights come on in the house. I have a lot of responsibility, but as a as a benefit, I have the authority so that I can affect that responsibility in the first place. Mm -hmm. In the new order, I don't have any of that, which replaced by the state right now. And if he fucks up, then I can get him out of the house and I still have all those beta bucks, long term security benefits at least perceptually going forward. I can get alimony, I can get divorce, I can get child support, I can get AFDC, I can get all this other stuff. And it, so that man in the new order, that chivalrous guy, that gentleman in the new order is superfluous. Nice you, to have, but not necessary. You, you didn't know we're still in the patriarchy. You didn't get the memo from Drew Afwalo that we're still in the patriarchy, no. Oh, you didn't oh, get wait, it. wait, 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 here. Oh, <laughs> let me see, I got her too, hold on. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> She's always like, you're a pick me. Not about me, but just about people who, you know, it's interesting. Drop they've wallow. Oh, they've man, created this paradigm, which is really fascinating to me, that women, you know, you can't criticize women. Guys can't criticize women, according to these, you know, the Drew Wallows of the world. Guys can't criticize women because it's labeled misogyny. And now women can't critique women because we're a pick me. So somehow all of these young women that are lost in making decisions that are bad for themselves. Nobody's allowed to say anything about it, apparently. Not men, not women. Isn't that convenient? Interesting. Mm -hmm. One thing that you well, have inspired me to do, mm -hmm. 
Rolo, as we close this out is, um, you know, I know you asked the question, you always poke the bear. I know, where's your wedding ring? It's getting fixed. Um, but you, you know, you oftentimes, I think there was another exchange we had where you had challenged me in some respect about the fact that I was doing this commentary, but I, you know, did marry late. I did have a child mm-hmm. late. You've kind of inspired me. I think I'm going to do a show on that and talk to people about what that story looks like because it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, people have a lot of misconceptions about me because I am sitting at a big microphone. Um, and it's, it's funny, actually, if you really know me in real life, you, you would laugh. The people, my friends who know me are always like, they think you're one thing and it's totally different. And, and truthfully, I did make, I did marry late and I did have a child late, but I, I do mm-hmm. not encourage people to, to follow that path. And actually, the reason I followed that path, just to give you a little nugget of it before, and I will, um, I'm going to do a show on this. I think it's going to be a good you show. You went to Columbia, right? Show. Where's your, your degree? You're from Columbia? I went to Columbia. I got a scholarship. I didn't really want to, I got a scholarship, so I went. Um, but the reality of why a lot of that happened what's, late what's for me. What scholarship? What scholarship? I got a scholarship in Spanish literature. Do you know oh, why, okay. though? Oh, Do you know okay. why, truthfully, that I, I people don't know any of these things about me. They see this like high powered woman here, they think. And I'm like, I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to work at a college campus because I wanted to be off for a lot of the year. And I wanted that what I thought was going to be a really good work life balance and fell into television by accident and almost didn't want to do it. Um, but the reason that, I, that a lot of that happened late for me, truthfully, is that I was in New York City and I was a very shy, which you wouldn't believe now, but asked my parents, a very shy girl, and I had been somewhat sheltered growing up. I grew up in Staten Island, not in Manhattan. And I didn't want to leave my family. I didn't want to leave. In fact, when I was uh, years earlier, I thought about being an actress. I loved the idea of acting, but I didn't want to be in a dirty business. Ironically, I would land up in media anyway. And I didn't want to leave my family in New York. And I couldn't stand New York men. I couldn't stand New York men. I couldn't. They were like the finance guys. And that just, they were all hanging out at the strip clubs all the time. And I was like, that's not for me. I was a, I was a, by my standard, a pretty good girl. And I didn't want that. And the New York guys didn't appeal to me. They weren't gentlemen. And I always said, if I had picked up and went to Texas, I probably would have met a Southern gentleman. Of course, I would never change anything about my story because it got me to the a husband I love more than life you don't itself want to go and to a Baton child. Rouge, what happened? <laughs> you don't want to go to Baton Rouge, Louisiana? <laughs> no, I don't actually. That it's funny that people were making those jokes because he's lovely, Justin is lovely, but that would absolutely not be the type of guy that I would be drawn to based on that paradigm or anything like that. But I did want like a Southern gentleman, you know, uh, for a while there. Um, and ultimately landed one, frankly, because he went to Rice for four years. But my story is unique and I got really lucky. Truthfully, I got really you lucky. You are an outlier. I'll give I, you that. I met, I met, women your age don't get married. I met the love of my life. I have an, a beautiful baby boy. Both of those things mean more to me than any job I've ever had. And, um, my message to women is, you know, these decisions do matter. And, you know, I, I could have been really unlucky and I would have been missing out on the most rewarding and most wonderful part of my mm-hmm. life. So, but my story is not to be copied. Do you, you wish know? you would have done it earlier? Would, would I have done it earlier if I had left New York? Do you wish you, if, do you, wish you would have done it earlier? The like only way I wish I would have done it, listen, I, I can't, anyone who has, who's had a child knows that they could never alter. If I alter anything about the story, I wouldn't land with this husband and this child. I want this husband and I want this child because I love them both more than anything. If you, if I could have done it earlier and still had this husband and this child, yeah, I would have done it earlier. I would have done it right. earlier. Um, and I was open to it. And I think that's the even key part. That do, even though, even though doing it earlier, you would have had to sacrifice. Yes. Going on the the view, yeah, uh, doing you doing the things that you did during Listen, your 30s. I I had an opportunity to go back on the view and didn't do it because I wasn't going to get an experimental vaccine. So you're talking to a girl who really priorities are priorities, and mm. for me, like 
seeing this world. I mean, I've every every job decision I've made since I've had my family, I took a weekend job. Everyone says, oh, you were a Fox News anchor. I said, I took the weekend shift. I worked on Saturday and Sunday and a little bit on Friday, but I did that because I wanted time with my family. So yeah, I, I had I met this guy and had this union and had this child, yes, this was, yes. But I wasn't, I wasn't in the dating circle a lot. I didn't like New York guys. I didn't like the New York scene. I wasn't going to go out partying all the time. That's what it was all about. So I, I tell women, like, if you want that, like, pick up and go somewhere where that energy is more likely to be around you. I do think it do should be Do you realize that hearing that from someone like you who has the history and the background that you do, that that sounds very hypocritical, right? Because the things that you've been able to do, going to Columbia, do, having the, the upbringing that you have, uh, be living in New York, going and being a pundit on Fox. But what being do you mean the upbringing? The, what do you mean? The well, upbringing? I mean, as far as I grew like, up a well, middle class family, I mean, I mean, upbringing in the sense that it's a sort of a female empowerment upbringing, meaning that like it's like you have advantages and there's expectations of women, especially in, in well, certainly the United States, but like in Western countries right now, where it's again, as I was saying before in the beginning of the, of the episode, is that there is this sort of pervasive cultural narrative that says if you choose to be a mom rather than being yeah. a, a Fox News pundit, uh, being on the view, do it following your life path. If you choose to, to, to do that rather than what, what your success story for a lot of feminine, like from the feminist perspective, you're you're a huge success story about all this, because not only were you able to do all those things that you've done up to this point, but now you're also married and you've got a kid. Right. But I did that so late. Like, oh, I had it all. Yeah, I know you did it late. But the thing is, is to hear that from from you after you've gone through all of this stuff and you pretty much lived that life. And now you get to be mom afterwards. Most most women have to either choose between one or the other. As I, that's why I asked you, would you do it earlier? Yeah, I would do it earlier. Had, had you given the ch were given the choice? I would do it or earlier if I could have, have this. You have to sacrifice yeah. those things that made you who you are right yeah, now. Yeah, but that's why my story isn't a good example for like for example like people struggle and work really hard to get that tv career and for me I was always in a position where I was like this wasn't my that wasn't my priority like I got on Fox and that was a great opportunity and I was super grateful for it and then I decided yeah and I'll try for the view and but it was not like I was this high powered I need this tv career this is going to define me I'm buried down like looking at work I got out of Columbia and I went and waited tables I had a master's mm -hmm. degree and I went and waited tables because I wanted to be happy and waiting tables made me happy happier waiting tables. I was happier waiting tables and I didn't want I never in fact I got offered a Job right when I came out of grad school to work for I think it was Lancome and I loved cosmetics at the time I was really into that and the job required a lot of travel it was a high-powered job working with like you know some high-powered woman in the company and you could see that the path was and I said to my mom I don't want to travel you know I just I don't so I'm truthfully what people see is they see this success yes I've been very successful and very grateful for everything that's come my way but that wasn't my mission really and a lot of what happened to me was lucky yeah I, you know I was good at something at the right time at the right place and I'm not saying I didn't work hard because I did but I never placed that as my be all and end all like that was my goal and truthfully mm -hmm. if something had come along like I'm the, the part of my life right now that I'm I mean if you said to me Jed you have to choose your podcast which I love doing and it's an amazing opportunity or your family 
Like I'm going to my family. I'll move to Montana. Yeah, no, and I'll I mean, everybody ranch. wants. Yeah, exactly. You know? gonna come first. But my my point is this: is like I it 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 seems to me like women who follow your mm-hmm. career track, the reason why they get to the point where they're 40 years old. And by the way, having a child at 40 is pr- physi- physiologically that's pretty dangerous. So the very it's fact not. that you were able to to it's do that, no, it is very much dangerous because it's right not. any every year after 30. Like the odds of you even conceiving are are pretty low. And on top of that, the, the closer you get towards 40, the higher the incidence of like Down syndrome and, and, and uh, you know, something going wrong with pregnancy, whether it's like, you know, a miscarriage or whatever else. So um, there's there's that aspect. But I mean, you know, it is what it is. But what I was going to say is that when you get to that point, when you go through your 30s, it's like, is that. Would would you have changed anything from yeah. the time you were like, say, you got out of college to the time that you were 40 years old? Because right now, following that life track, is very, you're, you're very much an outlier in that sense. I am an outlier, and the that's why I say why, The reason why you were able to do that was because there is this feminist life track that says you go girl you can have it all you can you you are fortunate enough to have actually had it all right so you've done what you're doing you're still doing what you're doing and you've got it you've got a family you've got a husband you got a, right. you've got a kid i don't know what your living situation is but the reason why you can be 40 and have a kid is because you followed this life track that said do these things because you can't trust any man you can't trust guys to for your long-term security you can't trust a guy to be around now maybe you you beat the odds but the, the fact of the matter is, is that the 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 narrative mm-hmm. that's put out there that is anti-mother is also the same narrative yes. that's saying you go out there, be an astronaut. You right. can do anything you want to. You can be a fireman. You can do whatever the hell you can be a, a Fox News pundit, whatever it is. You can go out and do those things all the way up till the time you're 40. Put it all off. Freeze your eggs. Right. Mm-hmm. Your your your, <laughs> your fertility is evergreen. Yeah. And, and, and the so reason like, is I, not to answer I, you. The, the reason, reason why I. The reason why I came at and here's the reason why I came at you at that at that particular time is because I was also covering Lolo Jones at that mm-hmm. time. Okay. Lolo Jones just put out this thing on TikTok about like, oh, oh, woe is me, cry about me, um, because I have to go and do this. She did this like Instagram story or reel or something about how she was getting herself prepared and she had to like shoot herself in the in the uh, you know take a shot and in like a syringe and shoot herself in the uterus or something like that so they could freeze her eggs because she's 39 and she's freezing her eggs because she still hasn't found the guy that God has ordained for her to be her duly you know you know assigned husband or whatever and so she's going through this and she's I mean literally in tears as she's doing this and I'm like that is a stark contrast to oh, I made it work for me. I got married at 39. I had a baby at 40. And so that's really, that's why I was sort of like- Yeah, and, and, to and I got lucky on that too, to be truthful. And I've told people uh, about this. I don't remember if it was on this show, but I got lucky. We, I got pregnant on try one. You know, I wasn't prepared for that. It could have been a lot harder. Um, it was a lot harder for my mom and she tried it much younger than me. And there's a uh, fertility crisis. And a lot younger than you too. She, so. tried at, <laughs> she tried at 32. I mean, she was trying in her 20s. My mom, it took her seven years to have me. So I was prepared for that as well. But my message again, the reason it's not hypocritical is I want- I'm somebody who wants women to have the opportunities. Like I want you to have the opportunity to build the life you want, but I also don't want you to be blind to the reality that something has to lose, right? So there's only 24 hours in a day. There's only seven days in a week. And if you're prioritizing something and you're doing the grind and you're making, your, your head is buried in work and you're not out meeting people and you're not doing any of that and that's not your priority and work is your priority, Time's going to pass and you just have to be aware that you may be giving something up. So I just want them to be alert to reality. Now, 
my story is weird because I wasn't buried in work. I was, I was a teacher actually for six of those years, seven of those years where I had a great schedule and I was off all summer. I just spent a lot of time not dating because I didn't like New York guys. Now maybe that's something else that I would look back and say, Hmm, should I have picked up and moved? And I don't know if I would do that differently. Like that time that I treasure with my family is what it is, but Mm -hmm. I, it's not a message of don't for me. My message is not like women, you know, I made mistakes, don't do what I did. My message is, look, you prioritize one thing and you deprioritize something else. So if you do land at 40 years old or 41 or 42 years old and you look back at your life and you spent most of that time, you know, buried in work and not prioritizing a family when what you really wanted underneath all that was a family and a husband, you might be in trouble. Like I got very lucky and I could have easily not been lucky and not lived this very rich beautiful part of my life that I wouldn't trade for anything else in the world. So that is my message. I well, mean, my life is what it is. My, you know? my, my counterbalance to that is really like, like I understand what you're saying. I'm not saying that I, I think the message is great, right? You know, if you want to be a mom, like have, I don't think a lot of women, women believe that they, have more time than they actually do. So when we talk about like women's biological clock, we usually talk about that right around when a woman is like 30, 31 years old. If women have a biological clock, it's really when they're 23. That's the height of their fertility window and when they can best, you know, they're most attractive and they can carry a baby to term. And they're much more, they're, you know, the the younger a woman is, the easier it is to, to have that child. Now that's contradicted by um, by quotes from very powerful women, um, such as like say Sheryl Sandberg, and I have right. I've, 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 I don't know if I've said this quote on this show, but I, I, if you've read my second book, I quote her in this. When she was writing Lean In, one of her advice for young women was this: "It says when looking for a life partner, my advice to young women is to date all of them: the bad boys, the cool boys, the commitment phobic boys, the crazy boys, but do not marry them." The things that make them bad, uh, the bad boys sexy, do not make them good husbands. When it comes time to settle down, find some. Comes time to settle down, find someone who wants an equal partner, someone who thinks women should be smart, opinionated, and ambitious, someone who values fairness and expects, or even better, wants to do his share in the home. These men exist, and trust me, over time, nothing is sexier. That's the message that has been pushed really well. When was that? Yeah. Twenty fourteen, when she Agreed. did lean in. That's the message that is countering the idea that, oh, be a mom, settle now, get, get, you know, find a guy who's a good bet for the future. And what, again, what that says is like for, for Sheryl Sandberg, it's like, no, don't do that. Wait till you get 29, 30, 31 years, follow the Tommy Laren plan, right? Wait till you're in your thirties and then find, hopefully you'll find the guy who's this nice egalitarian equal guy who you wouldn't probably have anything to do with when you're in your twenties. <laughs> right. But now he seems like nothing will be sexier going forward. Just give him some time. He'll be more sexy after a while. But the fact of the matter is that she's encouraging exactly what everybody thinks that the red pill is encouraging for women right now when you're getting a quote unquote alpha female like Sheryl Sandberg, who's been saying stuff like this since 2014. Mm -hmm. That's the counter narrative to what you were talking about when it comes to like be, you know, start if start thinking now at 23, whether or not you want to be a mom or not. 
But the counter message is date all the commitment phobic boys, the crazy boys, the bad boys, the cool boys, right? And yeah. you know, by dating and you know, bang all those guys. And then don't it's worry, once advice. you <laughs> once you're 29, 30, 31 years old in your epiphany phase, you can stick the landing and you'll be fine because yeah. nothing will be sincere than the beta you happen to marry. I think the byproduct of like one thing that I probably did absorb that I wasn't even cognizant that I was absorbing was the idea that you have so much time. Um, I'm yeah. sure that going through my life, I felt like there was just a lot of time for everything I didn't know I, I always was open to things I personally didn't know like if I was meant to have kids I didn't always know that I wasn't one of those women that like just knew that right away for some reason um I didn't know if I would get married it was I didn't know but what I did feel is that I had a lot of time and what you realize is that it takes time you know to get to know someone and then you get engaged and then you move in together you get married whatever order you want to do that in and then you have a baby and that stuff takes time that block of life takes time so you don't have as much time as I think media would like women to believe and that was something that I realized you know I, I did kind of get it all in but I just got it all in you know what I mean so I always mm. say it's not you know my story is not everyone's story but when I do speak about this stuff I do come from a place that's very well intentioned of saying being very open about my life and being like I, it's never a mistake like again I have this child and this husband I literally like would never trade I, like I am so freaking happy with that so I can't go back and change anything because that would have altered this but I do mm -hmm. speak to women and say if you can sit if you know you want a family please like sit with yourself and look at the 24 hours you have in a day and, and look mm -hmm. at what you're prioritizing and reflect on that because you could wake up one day and you could have missed out because of your priorities being out of order and if you if you don't know sit and spend time thinking about it and really look at what that decade of your life means and my hope is that many of them will make better decisions whatever that looks women like for them. A, women women do not make that kind of grand strategy call for their life in yeah, general probably I, would, not. I would argue most but they should because, but they should well we, i mean women believe that they have more time than they That's actually right. do in fact I've, I've said this before like i always bring up the uh, morgan stanley rise of the she economy data it's like you know women in the, by 2030 women in between the ages of 25 and 44 42 percent of them will be single and childless mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know if that's the case if that's the prognostication it means that people are doing their homework on this and they're making forecasts for their business so they can profit by yeah. that so if that's the case, what what do you like? Guys always make this joke, you know, invest in Chewy, right? Invest in like dog toys, or invest in cat food, or invest in like you know uh, box wine or whatever. Like, yeah, box ha -ha, wine. Okay, okay, funny. Yeah, but the thing is, is uh, if you really want to make a lot of money going forward, invest in anything, whether it's a startup or a what anything with the message that women have more time than they actually do when it comes to fertility, when it comes to reproduction. So egg freezing might be one of those actually. Yeah. Um, and so, and the reason for that is because women love to believe that their sexual agency and their sexual market, why, why do we have things like a, a body fat acceptance or, you know, beautiful at any size, beautiful at any age. The reason for that is because we want to foment this idea that women have more time than they actually do. And then, you know, for example, like you made, you happen to make it work, right? You know, it's, Very it's well. like FOMO, it's like for fear of missing out versus you only live once versus uh, I've got more time and I can freeze my eggs unless you're Lolo Jones and you're crying all the way to the doctor's office to go and do so. 
And so I think that one of the greatest disservices we do, I, be, I genuinely believe we have, there's a, a blue pill for women as well. Yeah. And if it consists of one thing, it's gynocentrism, first of all, but it's predicated on the idea that women have much more time than they actually do yeah. uh, fertility wise. And they are uh, indefinite, their, their attractiveness, their arousal, you know, their, their sexiness is evergreen. And it, it doesn't have an expiration date. And if it does, it's men's fault that they can't appreciate it. That's how you get like Paulina Porzakova at 56, 57 years old, feeling sexually invisible. Mm. That's why you have like the, the wives and girlfriends of the soccer players still putting themselves on Instagram with nobody there except themselves because that's a, a con contingency plan just in case things go to shit with the best a soccer player on planet Earth, right? So the idea... That, that that they have more time than they actually do or the idea that they can ensure themselves against not having that time, I think is the worst disservice that we do to women uh, really in, in Western, certainly industrialized nations right now is the idea that you can you can have it all. And by having it all, it means indefinitely now. So freeze your eggs. Don't worry. You're sexy at any weight. And if men don't find you sexy, well, it's because they've been conditioned by, you know, Playboy and, mm. you know, Sports Illustrated swimsuit cover models and stuff like that to not find you attractive. And it's really their problem and not your problem. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the idea that everything is evergreen and the fear of missing out right now, I, again, that's a it's a huge profit model, first and foremost. But it's I think it's a huge disservice because what happens is then you get women who get to be 36, 38, 30, 40 years old and they're like, where's my man? Right. I did everything I was supposed to do. Right. I, I, I it must be their fault. They're, they must be threatened by a strong, powerful, independent woman. And they mm -hmm. just don't get with a, a high value woman like me. Well, the reality is, is guys who would be acceptable to those women don't have anything to do with them. They right. want to get with a girl who's 23 years old because now they can. Mm -hmm. So that's how you get women who would much rather, you know, share an alpha male. That's how you get that situation, because if the guy is the apex alpha, he's has the ability to be more sexually selective as a result, whereas women think that the things that make a guy attractive ought to make them attractive, too. And it's simply not the it's case. not the same men and women we come back full circle to men yeah. and women are different <laughs> that's something i say here every day well rollo thank you for being sure. with me today i think we had a great conversation um i appreciate it it always makes me think which is my goal always above all else but don't make assumptions in the shop the ring there you happy go. see see don't make assumptions <laughs> <laughs> you do that sometimes you make assumptions i'm just saying don't make assumptions uh, i am the proudest wife. Seriously, I'm not going to wear a shirt here that says proud wife and mom because it would be embarrassing <laughs> to my family. But if I could, I certainly would. But thank you for coming on here. I appreciate sure, the sure. exchange. Thank you to the audience. I will be back here on Friday with a guest. I have to confirm it before I announce it. Uh, but it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a lot of data on Friday. Let's just say that. Rolo mm. Tomasi, thank well, by you. The way, yeah. I will be in I will be in oh. Miami uh the fifth through the tenth. So maybe we can hook up at that at that time. The fifth through the tenth. Okay, the yes. Through the tenth of December. Yes. Um okay. I will I'll be on Access Vegas on the eighteenth of November as well. That's my new show that I'm developing with Mike Sartain in Las Vegas. And of course my you can always get my books on Amazon. Uh just go look for the rational mail on Amazon. And um and then my show is on one PM Pacific, four PM Eastern every Sunday and on my channel. You got those plugs in. See, much like me, you, you just got it all in at the yeah, end. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you, Rolo. I appreciate it. Have sure. a great day. And it. don't be cutting Thanks. any nasty clips. Just saying. Nope. Oh, yeah, no, no. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.